today. We're starting our One Life journey together. We're on a four-week journey called the One Life Campaign. So this is our first campaign together. Everything we do for the next four weeks, from our groups to our messages to the journal that you'll pick up today, all of that will tie into this big idea of God using our ordinary lives to make a difference. And there was something inside of that original crew, inside of Pastor Rick, when he started this church with Kay, there was a longing for God to use his ordinary life. And I know for you, that's inside of you. There's a desire for God to use your one life to count, to make a difference. That God would take your days and your gifts and your talents and your experience, that he would use you to change the world. That desire to make a difference with your one life is given from God. It's God's design for you. It's his purpose that your life would make a contribution here on planet Earth. And one of the best ways that we can make a contribution is by influencing the lives of those around us. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, these words, he said, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. What he's saying is the most important thing that you can give your life to is the salvation or the transformation of other people's souls. Pastor Rick said this, he said, the greatest use of your life is to invest in that which will outlast it. And you know what will outlast our lives? It's souls, it's people. God designed every single human being to have relationship with himself and for their life to count. And there are people in our world who are disconnected from God. Some of you, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. For every follower of Jesus, God wants to use your one life to make a difference in other one lives. Yet there's so much that wars inside of us to our lives counting. There's so many barriers that we face, that deep desire and longing for our lives to count deep within us, yet after we think about all that, there are other thoughts that come into our minds of why that shouldn't be the case for us. And I wanna share with you on the front end of my message today, I wanna share many of the barriers that I think prevent us from stepping into the fullness of God using our lives the way that he could. And the first barrier, if you'll pull out your notes, is the barrier of experience. And what I mean by this is I don't want to be weird. Now, I know I'm a little bit weird, but I don't want to be the weird guy. You know the weird guy, like you're at a party, maybe you're at a Super Bowl party, and you're like, okay, Taco Bell commercial comes on, and the guy's like, you know what rhymes with Taco Bell? Hell. And that's where you're going if you don't know Jesus. You know that guy, right? If you're, at a, if you're a part of our international audience, one of our extensions in Malaysia, you don't have Taco Bell, it's like the same guy that when it's warm in the room and it, you say it's hot and he says, well, you know where else it's hot? Hell. It's hot in hell. And that's where sinners burn. You know, that, that guy, you know him. And we don't want to be that guy. It's important to recognize this. This helps me. A person is never a project to God. A person is never a project to God. You see this in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was drawn to people who were disconnected from God, disconnected from church. And so often Christians get into the mindset like, well, people are a project. No, people are never a project. Half of millennials, that's my generation and about 15 years younger, half of my generation believe that it's wrong to share your faith with other people. And the reason why is because of experience. So we wanna have a different mindset. We need a different set of experiences. The other barrier is the barrier of fear. And the barrier of fear says, I don't know what to say. So maybe you've had this happen before. This is also true if you're an introvert. Sometimes 
If you're an introvert, like extroverts, they say too much, they talk way too much. So my wife tells me um, about my extroverted nature. Um, but that was funny, you didn't laugh, that's okay. I laughed on the inside. <laughs> but maybe as an introvert, you feel like, I don't know what I'm gonna say. But good news, statistically, 62% of people who don't have a relationship with God, they're not followers of Jesus, when they were asked, what character trait would you most like to see in somebody who's a Christian that would make you want to be their friend and listen to what they have to say, the number one character trait is somebody that would listen without judgment. 62% of people. Now think about that. It's the kind of person that doesn't have all the answers. They're just willing to listen. And maybe for you, it's like you, you like to talk. Well, it's a good training to say, I got two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's to listen. And I sometimes, I like to practice on myself. So I'll talk to myself and I'll listen. <laughs> and then I talk and I listen. Joking aside, that fear, we can overcome that fear just by simply knowing there's a power in hearing people's story and just loving them. Number three is the barrier of busyness. And being honest with you, this is the barrier I face most right now in this season. And it's a belief, it's the belief that I think I don't have time. It's the belief that I think I'm too busy, I got too much going on. When we moved to the Bay Area in 2008 to start Echo Church, when we moved there, we didn't know anybody. So all day, every day, we were just meeting people. We didn't have anything else to do. But when I came to staff at Saddleback and started working here, Almost everybody I'm interacting with at Saddleback or here in this area is staff of Saddleback. And I think most of them are followers of Jesus. <laughs> but the busyness can creep into our mindsets where we say, well, I got too much going on. I don't have time. And there's a subtle shift. Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Now that word, when he says go into all the world, in the original language, the phrase means as you are going. So as you're going to get coffee, as you're going to your place of work, as you're going to your kids' sports practice, as you're hanging out with your roommates, as you're watching the Super Bowl, as you are going, do all these things in community and be intentional with your life. So it's not necessarily like Pastor Rick when he started Saddleback went to a thousand doors. You don't have to go to a thousand doors to make a difference with your life. You can actually be intentional with the time that God has given to you. Number four, the fourth barrier is the barrier of comfort. And what we mean by this is that I can get used to life with God. Now there's a couple stats that I found to be really interesting. According to Barna, two out of five Practicing Christians say that they don't have any friends who aren't Christians. And that's partly because people get so wrapped up into the life of the church. Studies show us the longer somebody follows Jesus, the fewer friends that they have who haven't encountered the love of Jesus. That's problematic. And a lot of it flows with the comfort. You get into a church, you get into the life of the church. Another stat, 78% of people who follow Jesus haven't talked to anyone about Jesus in the last six months. This is according to LifeWay. And this comes from the comfort. I get used to life with God. So sometimes we gotta be shaken up a bit. We need somebody to, to tell us, like, remember what it was like before you followed Jesus. Remember what your life was like before God intervened. The barrier of comfort. 
And then fifth and final is the barrier of insecurity. And the barrier of insecurity says this, I feel unqualified. And I know for all of us, we have things that we, we think about from our lives that are not the way that they should be. You know, you lost your temper on your way to church with your kids. You, you got in an argument with a coworker. You have things from your past you don't want people to know about. And in your mind, you feel like, well, God can't use me because I'm not qualified. But God uses ordinary people with broken lives. God is not looking or after your perfection. God is after your availability. He's after your willingness to say, God, use me. And the truth is, you don't even have to be steps ahead. You can just be heading in one direction, and just one step next to you, you can be influencing people around you. You don't need some list of spiritual qualifications. In fact, when I look back over my life, the time where I had the greatest relational impact with people. Now, over time, my influence has changed. But when I was in high school, that was one of my most fruitful times of just influencing my friends and I didn't, I was like ninth grade, eighth grade, or 10th grade, 11th grade, and I was just willing to let God use my life. So I want to encourage you today. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be somebody who's willing to stand up on a stage and shout. You just have to be available to God. And the next four weeks, I want to make it very practical. I want to make it so simple that we can take steps to watch God use our lives. So here's a journey we're gonna go on. Uh, we're gonna take four weeks and look at, first of all, this week, how do we start with asking God for help? That's the beginning. To recognize I need God to intervene and to see God use my life, it requires me to ask for his help. Next week, we're gonna talk about building friendships and the power of a friendship. That really, if you look at people in your life as a project, you'll never make a difference. But if you're just a good friend, God will use you in significant ways. C, we'll talk about cultivating conversations in the third week and how asking questions and listening, cultivating conversation makes a difference. And then the fourth week, we'll talk about discerning steps to help the people around us take steps in their journey of faith. Now, you might be here listening to my voice and you're not a follower of Jesus. And part of you is tempted to check out and say, well, if that's what this is all about in the next four weeks, I don't need to come. I would, I would say to you, I hope from my heart to you, you would hear these next four weeks how much we love you, how valuable you are to us, to God, and I wanna invite you to hang in there because I think you'll be encouraged as well because I know deep inside of you there's a longing for God to use your life as well. The way we will all get the most out of our four weeks together is by being connected on the weekends, coming to services, getting into a small group, we're gonna talk about how to do that, and then picking up the One Life Journal that will track every day through what we're doing in this One Life campaign. And today I wanna to start with this concept of asking God for help. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy 2, or it will also be on the screen, it's not in your notes, and I wanna read this verse over you. Paul is speaking to a younger Timothy. And he wants to encourage him with the power of prayer. Listen to what he says. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. So every nation, every tribe and tongue, all people, pray. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now there's a clear connection between gratitude and prayer. You see this all the time, especially for Paul when he talks about prayer, he talks about gratitude. 
Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So when we pray, it pleases God. And then there's one last line. I want you to hear this. This is so important. God who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Notice that line. Let me read it one more time. When you pray, it's so important to recognize the God that you are praying to is a God that brings healing and restoration to people's lives. There is not a person on the planet that you could pray for that God does not love and care about. And Paul says he is the God who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The more we understand what God is like, the more we pray. The more we understand God is not a transactional God. He's not after just like a slot machine relationship with us. God is after a personal, prayerful relationship. And there is a joy that we experience when we engage, as Paul says, in intercession, in asking God to move, that God answers our prayers, he changes people's lives, and there's a power in it when we see God respond to our prayers. And we're gonna talk today, how do you pray in, a, in an effective way? So how do we pray in a way that God responds to those prayers? Well, the scripture, the Bible, tells us how to pray that way. In Colossians 4, I want you to hear Paul's words. He gets really practical. He says, devote yourself to prayer. This is in your notes. If you will, circle that word devote, because prayer requires commitment. It's like any activity of value, it requires commitment on our behalf. Being watchful and thankful. Now circle those two words, watchful and thankful. And there are two components of the kind of prayer we're gonna talk about today. Watchful, I'm gonna to get to. I'm gonna share with you a concept that's been impactful to me. It's called chewing on carpet when you pray. And a kind of prayer that you are just interceding. You are being watchful, but connected to that is thankful. Now when you're thankful, you act differently. You pray differently. You treat people differently. In fact, gratitude is so powerful. I was watching this show on Netflix, and in this show on Netflix, I love it, it's a home renovation show. Stacy and I are in the middle of a home renovation, and so maybe part of the reason why I like this show so much is that it gives me hope. Like, <laughs> eventually the house gets renovated. It's over at some point. But in the show, it happens in one day. So families go out, they leave, they're gone for the day, they come back at the end of the day, and the house is renovated. And you see these varying different levels of response in the people. And everybody is, is grateful. Like nobody comes in there like, oh, I don't, I don't like that marble. Why'd you paint it that color? You know, they're so grateful. But there are some people that are just over the top grateful. And there was this one family, they came back, and it was clear from the show, again, this is not a Christian show, this is on Netflix, and they, they come back, and she is just like in tears, weeping in gratitude. They're like Bible verses all over her house, and you can see she's so grateful to God, she's so grateful to this crew, and she is just weeping, thank you, thank you, I don't deserve this, I'm so grateful, this is the home I've always wanted. I'm like sitting in my living room, like, <laughs> crying with this woman. And the, the thought occurred to me, gratitude looks good on people, doesn't it? Like there's not a person on the planet that gratitude does not look good on. In fact, you might turn to your neighbor right now and say, gratitude looks good on you. You might wanna tell your spouse that as well. <laughs> gratitude looks good on you. Or a roommate. It's, it is a character trait. Is gratitude not one of the most attractive character traits? 
Now it was funny to me because I was thinking about this. You know, I did have the thought like smiles look better on people, but then I was like, but a smile doesn't look better on everybody. There's some people when they smile, they probably do better just keeping their mouth closed. But, but <laughs> gratitude, gratitude looks better on every single human being. It's attractive. And what Paul is saying is when you pray this way, your prayers are attractive to God. So I come to God in a spirit of gratitude. Thank you, God. You've been good to me. You've been faithful to me. You've been kind. Your goodness has followed me my entire life. So I pray differently when I pray with gratitude. And then he continues his thought. He says, now pray for us that God may open a door for our message. So underline that phrase, open a door. That God might open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. So Paul is currently suffering. So he's, he's chained right now for proclaiming the message of Jesus. And he's writing, asking God for intervention, asking for wisdom to be strategic and to be mindful with his words, asking God to open a door. So he says, pray that an open door would come, that I might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray that God would give me the words to say. And here's the big idea. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to our words that we speak, how we pray determines the effectiveness of what we say. How we pray determines the effectiveness of the words that come out of our mouth. So if I wanna grow in my impact, if I wanna grow in the kind of difference that I make with my life, I have to learn to pray in a way that is in accordance with the, God's will and God's purposes here on planet Earth. So I wanna pray effectively. So I have four ideas for this kind of prayer, four specific things from Paul's words. And the first one is to pray for open doors. Now I wanna talk about this concept of open doors Paul is speaking of open doors. Now, sometimes when you open a door, it opens, but then it closes. So then you got to pray again that the door would open, and maybe you just keep your hand on it so it stays open. <laughs> but when you pray for an open door, what you're praying for is you're praying for a door of receptivity, of readiness, and response. So you're asking God to open a door that you can effectively communicate his goodness, his love to those around you. One story in particular, when Stacy and I first started uh, the church in the Bay Area, we moved there, like Pastor Rick, when he and Kay started Saddleback, they didn't know anybody, they started meeting people, they didn't have a building, they didn't have a lot of money, but they found a place to meet. So we hadn't found a place to meet, but we had a date selected that we would launch the church. And I had heard in California that you couldn't meet in a public school. So I remember one time I'm on the phone with a mentor and I'm talking about all these barriers that we're encountering. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think that we can meet in public schools because this is California and they don't let churches meet in schools. I didn't know of any churches meeting in schools in the Bay Area. Thank you for closing. Uh, I'm gonna pray you back open in just a minute. Um, but. We, I said to my mentor, I said, well, I can't find a school, but there's a school in the community, and I'd really like to meet there. And he said, well, here's a brilliant idea. Have you asked them if you could meet there? <laughs> I'm like, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. That's a great idea. So we got together with a few of us who are part of our core team, and we just prayed around the community, around the school. We tried to stay a safe distance away so they wouldn't think we were weird, and we just 
prayed for three days walking around, and I went into the principal's office, felt a little bit like going into the principal's office, and I sat down, and I said to the principal, I said, hey, I'm new to the community, we're starting a church, uh, I promise you, like, we, we won't make a mess, we'll clean up after ourselves, we'll, we'll pay you, can we use your school? And I'm expecting him to, like, tell me no and shoot me out, and he looks at me and he goes, yeah, sure, let's go look at the calendar. And so we walked down the hall, looked at the calendar for the next three and a half years, our church met in that building. And I want to be like, are you sure? Like, do you really want us to meet here? Like, are you confident? And that moment, I learned that God uses prayer to open doors. There's a readiness, there's a receptivity, there's an openness that God does things when we pray that he doesn't when we don't. God does things when you pray that he doesn't when you don't. This is so core to the character of God. God is not transactional. God is relational. So he engages us in prayer so that we can be his kids doing his business here on planet Earth. He uses prayer as a conduit to transform people's lives. So I pray like this. God, I'm asking you for an open door to share your good news with others. God, I'm asking you to open doors. And when I pray this way on the front end of my day, I see things differently. I'm asking God for eyes to see and ears to hear, to notice where he's at work so that I can step through the doors that he's opening. I see a difference when I pray this way. And I have to be mindful deep inside my heart, my part in this whole journey. There's a part for God and there's a part for me. And you might want to write this phrase down. I can touch a heart with my life. God can use me to influence other people and touch their hearts, but only God can transform lives. He's the only one that can change people, and I've seen him do it again and again and again. So when I pray, I pray with confidence that God who changed me and has changed others can change more people. Ezekiel 36, 26, some of you, you've lived this verse with your life. When the prophet speaks, He's speaking on behalf of God when God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. So the spirit of God comes and takes up residence in the human heart. I've watched it again and again and again. I've seen angry, bitter people become jealous, uh, move from their jealousy and bitterness into kindness and gentleness with their lives. So the spirit of God, he says, will take He'll put a new spirit in you and remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He will soften your heart. So when I pray, I'm praying to the God that's done it before and he can do it again. God, open a door for your message to go forth. I pray in faith. Now Paul gives us more here. Watch what he says in addition to this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, you might underline or circle that word seasoned. Stacy tells me my hair's starting to look seasoned. <laughs> See a little bit more gray popping in. It's salt and pepper in here. Every time I go to the barber, it's a little bit more salt, a little bit less pepper. And thank God for just for men. Eventually, I may throw it in there. My, one, one week, I come back, and it's jet black hair. You're like, oh. Must have done just for men last week. <laughs> There's a difference, though, between seasoned and saturated. So notice Paul says, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And it reminds me of my dad. My dad loves salt. 
Any salt lovers here at Saddleback, out of curiosity, he'll put salt on anything, man. He'll put salt on bacon. He'll put salt on, on peanut butter. He'll put salt on strawberries, melon. This is hyperbole exaggeration for effect, but he loves salt. And he should just use that Costco big jar anytime he puts salt on. Because it's just like pour that stuff on. And sometimes he'll make eggs, and I'm like, oh, I can't eat those eggs because they're saturated with salt. Now, seasoned with salt is just a little bit. It makes it better. So Paul is saying you can, you can be seasoned with grace so that you make the environments that you're in better. So the prayer is the prayer for clear words. So I want my words where I go to be seasoned with God's grace so that God is using my words to pique people's curiosity, to bring thirst about with the things that I say. So I'm praying intentionally, God, give me clear words. And I'll ask things like this. God, give me a Bible verse. Because I know that the word of God is powerful. You said it doesn't come back void. So maybe one verse can be powerful. Another thing is an image or a sentence. Notice not a paragraph or a sermon, but a sentence can be powerful. Sometimes a question Jesus would ask a good question. Sometimes he'd say things like, what do you want? Coming to follow me, what do you want? And that one question could open the door to a person's heart. So when I pray this way, God will give me things into my mind that increase my ability to make a difference in the lives of people around me. So I'm intentionally praying for clear words. Now Paul draws a connection between words and actions. It's not either or, it's both and. And go back to the verse with me for just a moment. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. So notice this, it's action with our words that bring impact. And the third prayer that I wanna pray is a prayer for relational wisdom. So what I'm asking when it comes to relational wisdom is to, to get help from God to know in the different environments and relationships that I'm in, God, Help me know how to treat the people around me in a way that's helpful. So I'm asking for your wisdom to care for this person in a way that's helpful. Like, have you ever noticed when it comes to influence, people have an agenda? Sometimes when they go to door to door, they're selling. We've had somebody come door to door asking like to be a part of some survey and you sit them there with them for like three hours and they're like, I'm gonna give you a $10 gift card to In-N-Out for sitting here for three hours. You're like, thank you, no, no thank you, I don't want that. But they have an agenda. Y'all tracking with me? Yeah. No, buddy else. They'll come to your house this week. I'm sending them there. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't come to my house. I have a bunch of friends at Saddleback Church. They want you to come and give them a $15 gift card to In-N-Out, I promise you. <laughs> so my point that I'm making here is that sometimes we have an agenda in relationships and that agenda drives how we communicate. But when we open our eyes to say, God, give me the ability with wisdom to see what is most helpful for the people around me, it changes the way that I treat people. Pastor Rick would have this phrase that Jesus would give people a look, a touch, and a word. So there's a way that we can engage people with our eyes, with kindness and love. Sometimes it's a hand on the shoulder. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's a specific word, but it's all combining together around our actions to ask God to give us relational wisdom. Some of you, maybe you feel like you don't know what to do relationally, like it's hard for you. Maybe you are maybe a little bit more intimidated by other people. Pray your way through it. 
Pray your way through it and let God give you what you need. You can know with confidence that God wants to use your ordinary life. God wants to make a difference through you. So when you pray, you pray with confidence knowing that, asking him to give you what you need. And the more we pray, the more we ask God to move, the way we pray determines the effectiveness of what we say. Now I remember specifically being in high school and praying for my friends, asking God to use my life. I shared this story in other messages about Pastor Rick, he had this list of friends in high school he was praying for. He kept it in a Bible and he'd pray and when somebody would make a decision he would highlight that person's name and keep praying. Then he would start sharing how to grow in their faith with that person. Well, I had a similar list. It was a yellow legal pad and it sat by my bed and I would pray for all of my friends that I played football with and I wrestled with. And I remember a group of friends, we got together and we said, hey, what if we plan an event after school with all of our friends on our sports teams, we come together and we share the difference that God has made in our lives. And so we had these bouncy houses and free games and free food and it was awesome. And at the end of it, I stood up in front of a group of my friends and I just said, Hey, let me tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. Let me tell you the joy I, ha joy I have now. Let me tell you, because of his love, how I'm different. And at the end of that, I just invited friends to make a decision to follow Jesus. And that day, seven of my friends made first-time decisions to follow Jesus when I was in high school. I remember in that moment the thrill of God using my life. I, I, knew all, I knew all my crap. I was like an acne-faced 15-year-old kid, lacking confidence, but I just wanted God to use me. And I've watched now for the last two-plus decades, I've watched God use my life, and there's no greater joy when you encounter the presence of God and then you see God use your ordinary life to change the lives of those around you. God wants to use you. It's not based on your qualifications. It's not based upon your age or your experience. It's based on your avail availability before him. And it's connected to our prayer to ask him to move. And there's one final type of prayer I wanna finish with. And I believe that there are some of you today, this is the reason, these next five minutes are the reason that you're here today. Because God wants to speak to you. There are some of you You've been praying for somebody in your life that you deeply love. It's a kid, it's a grandkid, it's a spouse, it's a coworker, it's a sibling that you deeply desire to know the love of God. And you've prayed, some of you for years, some of you for decades, and you've seen no movement. And you're about at that place where you're ready to throw in the towel and say, I'm done. And God, in these few moments, wants to grab a hold of your heart and give you one fourth final type of prayer. It's called the prayer of perseverance. It's to pray through. The Bible calls it prevailing prayer. That there is a kind of prayer where we go before God in dependency upon him with eagerness and humility. It's that watchful word that Paul is talking about. And it's this prayer, it's God, I'm asking you to have mercy on me. I'm asking you to have mercy on my mom. I'm asking you to have mercy on my son. I'm asking you to have mercy on this neighbor of mine. I'm asking you to not give up on this person. 
and it's connected to how Jesus taught us to pray. See, Jesus modeled prayer better than any other human being. He, God in human flesh, would pray to his heavenly Father. And God the Father and God the Son with God the Spirit would do the work of God and invite the kids of God into his family's work to see the whole world know his heart. And prayer is the engine. Prayer is what God is using to propel the kingdom forward. And he's been doing it for thousands of years. He's been doing it for generations. And Jesus gave us the way to pray. Watch what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, 11 verse 5. He gives us this image. Jesus said to them, this is how you pray. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, Lend me three loaves of Panera bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. So imagine this friend is there and he's banging on the door and he's asking for the friend to come open. I need some bread. He's saying, I need it. I got a buddy that's come over, bro. Wake up, give me some, give me some food. I'm here at your door and he's knocking. And what Jesus says, this image is the image of prayer. When you go before the throne of God, because Jesus, the Son of God, lived a perfect, sinless life, he is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. He was without sin. He died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, and now he lives to intercede at the right hand of God the Father. So the scripture says that you can boldly come before the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you will find help in the time of need. So you can enter in, knock on the door of heaven, Jesus says, like a friend at the door, knocking. And he says, when you knock, it says, he won't come. Suppose he says, don't bother me. I've already brushed my teeth, washed my face. The door is locked. Turn the TV off. The alarm's on. My kids are in bed. I'm not getting up. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because you're his friend, because you're his bro, I tell you this. Yet because of your shameless audacity, your persistence, he will get up and give you as much as you need. So he is knocking and knocking. Are you sick of me knocking yet? And knocking. He will not give up until he gets what he needs. So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. The word literally means to keep on knocking. It's a prayer that prevails through until God moves. It's a watchful kind of prayer. It's what Isaiah said, position, I will position watchmen who will not let up. They will beg of God until he answers. Now Jesus gives us another image. And the other image that Jesus gives us, it says in Luke 18, I want you to connect these two images together. Jesus told his disciples another parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So Jesus is comparing this judge to the God of the universe who is a God of kindness, a judge of mercy and grace. We know that God is a God, he is a judge, but at the cross both justice and mercy meet. So Jesus pays the penalty and price for our sins, God's just. Jesus pays the penalty and price for our sins. God is merciful so that we can come and be forgiven. So he's comparing this other unjust 
judge who doesn't care what people think with a just God who loves people. And then he says, this guy, this judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, he was there and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So she kept coming, knocking over and over again. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, and I love the humor in this, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So she won't kill me. I I don't want to die. I'll give her what she needs. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He hears your prayers. And Jesus said, do not give up. Don't stop praying for your mom. Don't stop praying for your sister. Don't stop praying for your coworker. Go before the throne of grace and know the God of the universe wants to act on your behalf and he hears your prayer, he responds to your prayer. D.L. Moody in the 19th century, one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, was not educated. At 17 years old, came to faith in Jesus, had a fifth grade education, shoe salesman, goes on to be one of the greatest used men of God in hundreds of years. Saw tens of thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. But it wasn't this big crowd show, it was personal. He'd been wrecked. He had been changed by Jesus. He had encountered grace, and he wanted people to know the love of Jesus. So he had a little piece of paper in his pocket. It had 100 names on it, and he wrote these 100 names of friends and family members that did not know the love of Jesus. Every day, he carried that piece of paper wherever he went. His hand was on it. He was praying. He was asking God to move. Every time somebody come to faith, he'd mark a name. So at his funeral, 96 out of 100 had made decisions to follow Jesus. Now, you might look and say, well, what about those four? He's a failure. At his funeral, the other four made a decision to follow Jesus. 100 for 100. Don't tell me God doesn't answer the prayers of ordinary people. He's not looking for your pedigree. He's not looking for your experience. He's looking for your urgency and your availability. So I wanna ask you, would you pray with persistence for one life? One person, that's all I'm asking. You don't have to go to hundreds of doors. You just just get one person. And it might be somebody that you're so deeply connected to that it matters so much in your soul and it's gonna change the way that you pray. And I wanna show you, I wanna model for you a kind of prayer. I'm gonna pray right now in the middle of the service and I wanna model for you this kind of chewing on the carpet prayer. I'm talking about you're down on your face before God and you are begging God to move and saying, God, if you don't intervene on my behalf, I'm gonna go before the throne of the grace of God and I'm here. Oh God, I know that you are good and I know that you are kind and you have been so faithful, you've been so good to me. I look back over my life and I can see your hand. I can see the miracles. You, you've changed me and if you hadn't intervened, Oh God, I could just imagine what my life would be. So right now as I come into your presence, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is no name above your name. So I don't want you to hear when I'm about to cry out. I'm not coming to you with a lack of gratitude 
or reverence for what you've done and who you are. The tomb is empty. Your name is the name above every name. You are revered. Angels bow down to you and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So King Jesus, there's no other aside from you. There's nobody worthy of the worship and praise that's due to your name. But I got this problem on my heart. I can't get it off of my mind. It's wrecking me. It's bothering me because I know you said, you said you came to seek and save the lost. And you said it's not your will that anybody should perish. And you said in your word that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 people that don't need to repent. And your word, David said, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Your spirit has pursued people. You know how to do it. You're good at it, God. You've changed lives, and I've watched it. I've watched you healed marriages. I've watched you change generations, but there's this one life. There's this one life, and they don't know you, and it bothers me, and the thought of this person spending eternity apart from you, it wrecks me, and I can't let it happen on my watch. God, I would trade my salvation for this person. I would give up my salvation so they could know you. So God, I'm just begging you to be the merciful God that you've said you are, that I know that you are. You're not just merciful, you're powerful. You've done it before, and I know you'll do it again. So God, I am begging you the best I know how, change this life. I will not relent. I will beg of you all my days until I see this person come to faith in you, God. Would you move? Would you move? Y'all tracking with me? You you don't have to snot and cry the way I did, but I, 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 I got somebody in mind. I got somebody in mind. And when I pray, and I pray for that person, oh, I cannot handle the thought. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. The thought of that person spending eternity apart from Jesus. And the best thing I can do is pray, is to ask God to do what only God can do. I know I need to be involved, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with urgency. So I want to invite you, church. Could you imagine all of Saddleback Church mobilized to pray like this? What could happen? What could happen in our communities? What could happen? So I'm gonna ask you to make two commitments. So I'm gonna invite you, just pull out your notes. The first commitment I wanna ask you to make is that you will make a one life commitment for the next year to pray for one life. And if you're new to faith, maybe your commitment is you're, you're just gonna be open. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your commitment is one life that you would pray for for the next year and ask God to use you to make a difference. And what you can do is you can sign that form. That's between you and God. We're not asking you to give it to anybody. It's between you and God. And then what you'll notice on that little note sheet, there's a little QR code. And I wanna invite you to scan that QR code. Now, let me explain how this works. Pull out your phone. Go ahead, grab your phone right now. This is a great time not to check social media or the news or future sports information about a game that's starting later this day. But pull it out, and if you'll open the camera app on your phone, you'll notice when you open the camera app, this is not to make you feel stupid, okay? This is just to make it really clear. When you open the camera app, there'll be a little bubble that will pop up. If you just click that bubble, it'll take you to a page that looks like this. So you go to a page, after scanning that QR code, click on that bubble, it'll take you directly to this page, It'll take you 15 seconds to fill out, to put your name on there, your email address, 
Don't have to tell us your gender, what campus you go to. You can skip that. Just first, last name, email. And who's the one person that you're praying for? Go ahead and do it right now. And I am praying that we would have 10,000 names of people that we are together collectively praying for. Here's why it matters for you to do it right now. Number one, you'll forget it later. Number two, I want to pray with you. I want to mobilize our church and team to pray over every name that comes in. We're not posting it online. We're not sharing it with anybody else. We're just going to pray and ask God to use our one lives to make a difference. Y'all going to do it? Yes? Five people in the front row going to take the step. Anybody else say, I'm going to take that step today. I'm going to let God use my one life. Now, the other big decision I'd like to encourage you to make is to get connected into a small group. This whole journey, whether you are exploring faith or longtime follower of Jesus, will be different if you're in community. And I'm going to pray for us, and then our campus host will be up. We're going to walk through how to get connected into small groups and help you today take that step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together to be challenged in our faith, to pray. I pray for every person that's listening to my voice, God, that this day would be a day that we're inspired and encouraged by the love that is present in you and that we would become the kind of people that are available to be used by you in Jesus' name. Amen.